Welcome to She Breeds, where the goal of every podcast episode is to inspire and empower women to up-level and lean in to the best versions of themselves. I hope you enjoy. Good morning, everyone, and happy Friday. It's um, kickoff to Memorial Day weekend, but it's not going to be the best weather, apparently, where we live. Uh, Maybe where you live, it's going to be kind of nice, but it sounds like it's going to get sort of chilly and rainy tomorrow afternoon through Sunday, um, from what I hear. So, we'll see. But but nonetheless, most people have work off. Uh, A lot of people have a day off on Monday, and the kids have a day off, and... um, and there is such short time of school left. So that's kind of exciting. Lots of stuff going on. Um, we have a couple graduating eighth grade in this household and Case is graduating fifth grade. And so lots to celebrate. We have a 16th birthday and just, yeah, lots of fun stuff going on. Lots to celebrate. Next week, we have a couple uh, end of year parties with the kiddos and stuff like that. So I'm just soaking it all in. Um, EOG testing is finally over. That's a whole nother topic we could talk about for an entire podcast episode is the amount of testing these children are having to do, especially the middle schoolers. There was like, for our eighth graders who are taking a couple of high school classes, they had a test, they had five tests in a row. um, And that was just so much, like every single day going to school to take a test. But I told them this is the last year they kind of have to do it in that way because once they get to high school, they have four classes at a time and not all of them have an end of course test. And so they'll get a little bit of a break in that regard when they get to high school. So this is um, interesting. So May, you know how they have like certain months like, you know, National Pet Month and stuff like that. Well, May, there are several, May is several things. So May is Better Sleep Month. And even though we're at the end of that, I thought it would be fun to tell you about these. May is Better Sleep Month. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, National Walking Month, and Women's Healthcare Month. And so those healthcare appointments are so important. And if you haven't, if there's something that you need, if there's an appointment that you need to make, make the appointment, whether it's a mammogram, a gynecological appointment, going to see a dermatologist about a spot you're worried about, you know, anything like that, make the appointment. We are not getting any younger women. So men too, men make the appointment, women make the appointment, make all the appointments. You know, we're good about making the appointments for our kids, but not as good about making them for ourselves. I've had several appointments this year, so it's kind of like, this is going to be the year that I go do all the things that I'm supposed to be doing. And so I've actually had quite a few appointments, which has felt, you know, more proactive. Um, well, moving into our topic for the day, last week I talked about divorce and some of the hard things that come along with that life-changing event. And I think it resonated with some women who I know are struggling with that decision or they've just, they're going through a divorce or they're about to go through a divorce. And it's just, you know, it's part of, it's just something that happens. And so I think instead of, you know, judging people for it or, or complaining about it or just brushing it under the rug, it's like we have to sort of face it and then, feel it, feel all the emotions. And then when we come out on the other side, we can sort of look back and think, okay, well, these were some of the good things that came out of that situation. And so last week's was really hard for me. I got emotional on that podcast because it's just, it's just, it's like a hard thing, you know? And also 
my mom passed away around the same time as my divorce. So sometimes all of that gets mixed up together and I can't tell which part of everything makes me like, which part is making me so emotional. So anyway, um, that's just my own circuit personal circumstance, but everybody is different who's, who goes through that. But so today I want to talk about, it's basically, I'm on the other side of divorce. It's almost been six years. And I want to talk about some of the silver linings, I guess you would call, I don't really know what you would call them, but some of the lessons I've learned and maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe silver linings, maybe, um, unexpected surprises or unexpected joys that came out of that challenging life event. Um, you know, I think part of the reason that divorce is so hard, whether you're a parent or you're not a parent is because you feel like you failed. You feel like you failed something that you believed in. And that's hard because, you know, we don't, no one likes to feel like a failure and it just, you know, we like to win in life and feeling like a failure is no fun. But, and also we're just raised to believe that there's one life trajectory You know, after high school, you're supposed to go to college and meet a nice boy and get married and have kids and stay married for the rest of your life. And, you know, just that's how it's supposed to be. And so, and, you know, during the middle of all that, we get jobs and we go on vacation and we retire. And, you know, it just, it's a very traditional trajectory that we in this country um, glorify and celebrate. And then when you, when your life doesn't take that trajectory, it feels uncomfortable. And you know, don't get me wrong. I think having a partner for life is a beautiful thing. My parents had that kind of marriage, but it just isn't the case for everyone. And so again, instead of like going down the rabbit hole of why is this happening to me or why did, why, why are people judging me? That's, that's not helpful. Um, and so, you know, it's just that divorce causes anger and hurt and confusion and depression and even self-blame and shame and all of those uncomfortable emotions. And those things don't disappear once the divorce is finalized. So it's just an icky situation and, you know, it can be uncomfortable. But one of the important things that I talked about last week is that you just have to feel the feelings. You just have to move through it and, you know, do the healing and do the work. And then when you come out on the other side, you can look back and be proud of yourself and at the wisdom you have gained. And so let's get into today's topic. So the first sort of thing that I learned or recognized after the divorce was the healing. The healing that I had to do after the death of my mom and the divorce has been paramount. And it's actually made me a much better person, a stronger person. And it has been a blessing in my life. And it's probably something I I wouldn't have done all this work had I not had to have. And I feel like had I not, you know, basically been forced to heal, to go through this period of healing and sort of like a resurrection, metamorphosis, whatever you want to call it. If I hadn't have been forced to do it, I wouldn't be the person that I am and I am grateful for who I am today. So at first it was therapy. That was the number one thing that I did that made me feel better immediately. It was nice to have an objective person who listened to what was going on with no judgment and didn't know all the people involved and could give me some clarity and help me reframe things. You know, when you're upset about something, you can twist everything around in your mind. And my therapist helped me look at it from an outside perspective. And maybe I was overthinking certain things or persevering on things I didn't that, that were unhelpful 
and she was incredible. So for three years, I went to see her once a week, and then I moved down to twice a month, and then once a month, and then on an as-needed basis. And, you know, if you've never seen a therapist, it's just, it's not, I don't, I feel like it still sort of has a, a negative connotation for some people, and I don't know why, because it's just such a cool thing, and it's such a neat way to have someone look at your thoughts and your behaviors in a way that's objective instead of emotionally connected and that is much that offers much more clarity to any kind of situation um and so I sort of got to a point with her that I felt like we had done the work that I needed to do in that regard and I shifted to doing some other things and those types of healing modalities were meditation, yoga, visualization, um, massage, and rituals. I'm big on rituals. So for instance, I don't know why they just sort of give me a sense of comfort. So in the morning, I light a candle at my desk when I'm working. And if I take a break to go walk the dog or go have lunch, I blow out the candle. And then when I come back to my office to work, I light the candle again. It is just sort of like this ritualistic thing that I like to do it. Not only offers a cozy little ambiance, but it's just sort of like, okay, this is starting my work session. This is ending my work session. And I don't know. I like that. And at, at night before bed, I always use essential oils in my diffuser and that's sort of ritualistic. And so I think these ritualistic behaviors offer a sense of comfort, especially in times of uh, outer chaos. And so um, the massage and the meditation and the yoga and all that kind of stuff, I I will not ever stop doing that. Those are sort to me like just daily habits that not massage, not a daily habit, but is sort of a a treat. And it's I know that that skin hunger is a real thing, and so you know our skin is the largest organ on our body, and it's important for it to be you know you know, massaged and worked with and somatics is huge when it comes to mental health. And so, yes, I'm a big proponent of massage and that could again be another episode. So, um, then I began using my diet as medicine and this is a huge phenomenon that I wish more people would learn about. Um, our like food can be a medicine, you know, food offers so many nutrients, vitamins, antioxidants, you know, healing, I mean, it's like plants are so powerful and the things that, that they can do for our bodies and our mental health are extreme. So my gut was all jacked up for a while and I had really bad irritable bowel syndrome since my early 20s and nothing I really did was helping. I never took medicine for it because I just really tried not to take medicine. So I tried to manage it with my diet, but at the same time I was trying to like sort of maintain my weight. So I was doing the whole like low carb high protein diet and that and I and it was sort of I mean it's maintaining my weight to a degree but it was first of all it wasn't very healthy because I wasn't eating enough fiber and fruits and vegetables I mean I was eating them but I feel like not enough not nearly as many as I eat now and it what my aerial bowel was still acting up and so after learning a lot about plant-based eating I decided I was just gonna like go all in Matthew kind of mentioned it as well because we both listened to Rich Roll and some of these other ultra athletes who eat plant-based and so I was like okay well let's do it and sometimes when I set my mind to something I just go all in like I just don't even dabble or like wade in I just jump in so this was last August when um, we decided to try it out and now we're in May and so still going strong very occasionally I'll eat fish and that's mostly just because for the B12 
aspect. And also every now and then when they, you know, with cooking for kids, sometimes it's just easier to cook one meal and have fish instead of a plant-based meal and then a traditional kid's meal, um, which I do a lot, but also a lot of the kids will eat plant-based. And so that's really helpful. But anyway, so I have been eating plant-based and that has, that has helped my gut significantly as well as my hormone regulation. And so both of, and so our gut produces most of our serotonin and an unhealthy gut is not, is unable to produce adequate amounts of serotonin. And serotonin is one of our neurotransmitters that makes us feel better. So by eating plant-based, I have helped my gut create better probiotics and maintain the probiotics that are there, which is helping the serotonin production. And it has also regulated my hormones, which is helping my mood regulation. So I huge, huge believer in the fact that your diet can fully affect everything else that's going on with your health. Um, and then I moved into learning about the nervous system and how to calm it down with activities like breath work, somatic shaking, cold therapy, tapping. Um, I also started reading tons of like self-help books and listening to podcasts. And in any way, it was like all of this stuff combined was like my time of healing and my time of resurrection. And I hate, well, I've always kind of, you know, like dabbled in homeopathic remedies and essential oils and yoga and all that kind of stuff. But I really dove in over the past uh, probably four or five years. Those first two years after all this was happening, I was just kind of like managing. But, um, But especially I'd say the last two years I have committed to... My, my way of eating, very minimal alcohol, tons of water, yoga, sunshine, all of the stuff that we have just right there at our disposal that we don't use, we don't use enough. And that is all has, all has been truly, truly healing for me. I also, for some reason, during all that grief period, I kind of stopped reading fiction books. I guess I was just so hungry for knowledge about how to make myself feel better that I kind of stopped reading fiction. And that was really strange um, for me because I've always been an avid reader. Well, that I've been reading a lot of fiction in the past year or so, and that has been such, such a joy. And so if there's something you really enjoy like that, like just journaling or reading, you know, make sure you're doing that and you're adding that to your life because that is just a simple, wonderful pleasure that does so much for our minds and our psyches. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, I just, I feel like a benefit of the divorce for me has been, I have come to know myself better than anyone. And I have come to allow myself as my primary source of comfort instead of looking for that outside of myself. And I don't think I may have gotten to this point if I wasn't forced to, um, when you lose your mom and your family unit, it's like, you have to just kind of figure it out. And I, feel like for me that's been a benefit because I've become my own best friend and so therefore I don't rely as heavily on pleasing other people or making sure that I have their you know approval for anything and for me that has certainly been a benefit. The next thing is anyone who has known me for any length of time or who has even just followed me on social media for a while knows how much my boys mean to me and that I absolutely love being a mom. It's the greatest joy of my life. And so for me, the hardest part of divorce has been not having my kids with me 24-7. But I've also learned to appreciate the quality of time I have with them as opposed to the quantity of time. I mean, I never take a moment for granted. You know, I just, I I work to be fully present when they're with me. Whereas I feel like when I was in the family unit, 
I was there, but I felt like a lot of times I was distracted or I was a busybody or, you know, as soon as my husband would get home, I would go to the gym or I would travel for work or I would do these things where I was still in the family unit, but I was, you know, maybe not fully present. And since the divorce, I have, when I'm with my kids, I am fully present and I don't schedule things when they're with me. I don't go on girls nights or girls trips or anything like that. I schedule all of that when they are with their dad because when they are with me, I want to soak up every single moment and I think that they can feel that. Like I think that they feel how important they are to me and that the quality of time that we have together is more important because I can't focus on the lack of quantity because if a person focuses on that, then then that is just a negative spiral and that is not helpful. Um, And I don't have control over it. So what I do have control over is embracing the quality of time you know, I have with them. And, and because every single minute is precious, I just, I don't take it for granted. Um, along those lines, my boys have gotten really good at talking on the phone. So when they're at their dad's, we talk on the phone or face them every night. And even though it's not the same as having them with me physically, I feel like it's taught them a skill of talking on the phone, which seems like it's disappearing for today's youth. And one time I was with some friends and all the boys were at a soccer camp and we were like texting them kind of like, how's it going? Because they were away like at a college campus. And so Brooks ended up calling me and just like talking, 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 talking on the phone about everything that was going on at camp. And my two friends were like, that is so funny. Like, like they're like, they like their boys would not talk on the phone that much, but they're with their boys all the time. So I don't know. It was just, just like one of those things I thought, huh? Well, I guess that is a benefit because they will talk on the phone for a long time. And I hope that that's something that we continue doing. I hope it's just a, you know, a habit that we have now that will continue when they're in college because it's a great way to keep in touch and it just feels more authentic than texting or anything like that. So that's kind of a funny little aside, but they're they're good at talking on the phone and I've gotten better at pulling things out of them to make the conversation lengthier and more meaningful. Um, number three, I, okay, so I just, one of the things I want to say is I, I cannot perseverate on if or how the divorce is harming the kids involved. Because I think that every parent worries about that that initially. Like, oh my gosh, what is this doing to my kids? Like, what, da 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 And it is one of those, I can't remember what the skills, it's one of those life events that can, you know, affect someone for the rest of their life. But I've learned a lot of things that, you know, I've learned that they need to feel their feelings too. They need to move through it. And if they are supported by loving adults, adults through all of that, they also will come out on the other side of it and they won't look back on it as such a negative experience if they are allowed to move through it and all the adults in their lives help them do that and reassure them. Um, so I guess, okay, okay. so one of the things I've, I've learned is that there, you know, our kids watch us in everything that we do. And so during all of this, the kids are seeing that it's okay for their parents to evolve through life. Sometimes a choice we make in our early 20s doesn't necessarily sustain for the duration of our entire lives. Um, and I guess that's something that, that, that they can see. And I guess, that, you know, it's just, I don't know what exactly they're learning, but maybe like one, it's okay, to, it's okay to change even if it's hard and that we grow and evolve as people and that's okay as well. Um, you know, they've also developed the skills of resilience and independence it's not easy to go back and forth between two houses and to have stuff at one house and stuff at the other house. It's a whole thing. It's like a whole thing, you know, exchanging stuff in driveways and parking lots. And it's something that when you're in an intact family, you don't even 
have a schema for. And then once you're in a co-parenting situation, you come up with all these strategies and tricks and routines and things to make it easier, to make the transitions easier. Um, and, you know, I, I appreciate all the adults involved in my boys' lives because, and I hope that all the, the hope that the Matthews kids' parent, you know, mom feels the same and everything because I feel like both houses feel at like a home. So I feel like for our kids, both houses that they go back and forth to feel like a home. So it's not like either house is better or worse. Both houses just feel, you know, loving and like a home. And so I think for any person going into a situation, as hard as it is to not have your children with you all the time, you have to remember that it that, that they want to feel at home at both places so that it doesn't feel like they're always not at home. Like, you know, I mean, if, if, if it works for you for one place to be home base, I get that. But um, at the same time, you don't want them to be at one place always not really feeling like they're settled. Um, or I mean, I, or I don't really want that, but it's the, the, our situation is working for me because I feel like, and for them, because I feel like wherever they are, they feel like they're at home and that makes me feel good. Um, and I hope that makes them feel good. So the fourth thing, um, that I have come to appreciate so much, and it's not really something I guess I would have thought about before, um, are the bonus people in my kids' lives and in my life. But, um, this one is huge and it means a lot to me. Um, their stepmom, she loves them dearly and takes great care of them. She works hard to make it feel like a home over there and to make them feel loved and taken care of. And she and I communicate really well. Um, and, and the same is true with Matthew. He's a wonderful role model for them. And so when they're here, they have him and, you know, and now they have a slew of amazing step siblings and that I know that they will be close to for the rest of their lives. I had friends growing up who had step siblings that they were super close to or in college. Some of my friends had step siblings and half siblings and, and they loved it because they had all these people around their age that they could turn to and call and, and be a part of, of their lives and, and be aunts and uncles to all of their children. And so, you know, again, when you're in the situation, looking at things from a positive lens, then this is one of the things I really think about a lot because, you know, my boys have each other, but now they have all these other kids when they all grow up together to call if they need something or to go visit in a new city and, or to travel with, um, and even beyond the immediate family members, like step parents and step siblings, they now have additional grandparents and aunts, uncles, cousins, and all these people are so wonderful. And they are this huge village for my boys that I am so, so appreciative of. And in my, and in my opinion, I feel like a person's village can never be too large if it's a loving village. And, you know, I'm certainly appreciative for what these people have given to the boys, but they've also done a lot for me as well. You know, I adore Matthew's family and his kids and his aunts and uncles and all his sisters and his mom and step parents and everybody. I just, and his dad, I feel like blessed to have all these new people in my life and the boys' lives. And that for sure is, is a silver lining of divorce. If all the people are good people and I am grateful that in my life, they certainly are. Another thing is during a divorce co-parenting situation, you learn how to create boundaries and boundaries have, it's been a a buzzword in the self-help world for the past number of years and it's still elusive for some people. But when you're in, after divorce, you, you, you really learn what is meant by setting a boundary. 
and really it's just basically you know clear communication defined time frames um clarity for the kids and you know it's not you, you can still have love all around there's still love but it's just a boundary is is sort of um it's kind of like a stopgap like okay so this is going to happen this isn't going to happen or when we communicate this is how we communicate um as far as all the adults involved and you know it's it's just something that you have to create to feel sane because with so many emotions and so many people and so many moving parts clear boundaries are necessary and i think the i i must you know sometimes they were hard for me but once we kind of set a clear boundary about this or that I even could feel how much better it felt, you know? Um, oh, and the kids especially, like, they also need to know, you know, um, that the boundaries help them feel safe and they help them know what to expect. And and that's really the, that that's really a lot of what kids want. They just want to know what is happening. If everyone loves them in the situation, even though we feel like we want to be with them all the time, they're going to be fine and they've learned these skills of resilience and adaptability and they love both parents. So, you know, if they just know what's happening and that's kind of what I mean by boundaries, like, okay, this happens at this house, this happens at this, at that house, you know, this, and then for, and for the adults involved, okay, this is how we communicate. You make this decision. I'll make this decision. You know, those are, those are kind of the boundaries that, that I'm talking about here. Um, and, and you learn to get really good at those in this kind of situation. So, Yes. Um, next. Okay. This one after divorce, you are better for your next partner. It's unfortunate for the original partner, but anyone who's on the other side of a divorce or just a very long-term relationship, you know that you learn the things that you could have done better. You learn the things your partner could have done better. Um, you grow as an individual, which makes you a better partner for even for friends, makes you a better parent. So when you're in a really long-term relationship, you learn things about yourself that then will help you be a, be a better partner the next time. And it's not just like the practical knowledge that you learn like, oh, well, I do like this or I don't like that. It's also just sort of the growth that you go through. And when you're with somebody for a long time, and that just makes you kind of a stronger person, which can help you be a more authentic partner for the next person. And you know, I feel like, again, this episode is about silver linings. So, of course, it's beautiful to be in a relationship with your child's other parent because you share the love of the kids. Um, but if that's not the case, then I feel like for Matthew and I, because we don't share biological children, our relationship is solely focused on our connection and our friendship, and there's something meaningful about that as well. So because we can't just talk about the kids all the time or talk about their schedules or talk about how great they are, how much we love them or what's going on with them, we have to kind of find our own, you know, we do talk about the kids, but it's like we also have a connection just between him and I, and that feels very meaningful and authentic. Um, so that would be a silver lining if you are dating after divorce and because we don't have the kids at the house all the time, we rely on one another for companionship and for um, all the things, for communication and for advice and all of that. And for me, because my mom was a daily confidant, we talked on the phone all the time. It's really, it's really, um, I'm, feel, I'm grateful for Matthew because I feel like he and I are really good friends. And <clears throat> if I'm stressed out about something at work or something else, then he is the one I turn to. And <clears throat> I feel like I, my mom was that person when she was alive. And so I'm just grateful to have Matthew because he has been 
a big support system for me and I'm appreciative of that. But, but yes, um, this is something that I, this isn't just something that I am, am coming up with. If you kind of Google or like, or read books about life after divorce, a lot of them say you are better for the next partner because of all the many things that you've learned in the marriage. Lastly, I want to talk about something called post-traumatic stress growth or PTSG as opposed to PTSD. Um, I only heard of this phenomenon recently and it really resonated with me because I feel like PTSD, it sort of, it feels like it's this um, forever thing. It's like a disorder that you may, you know, it feels like it's something that, that you're going to battle forever. But PTSG, it, to me, feels more hopeful. And so according to Psychology Today, this is the definition of PTSG. It's the positive psychological change that some individuals experience after a life crisis or traumatic event. PTSG doesn't deny deep distress, but rather that adversity can unintentionally yield changes in understanding oneself, others, and the world. PTSG can, in fact, coexist with PTSD, and again, this isn't necessarily something I wish on anyone, but if we're trying to find silver linings, um, then PTSG is a silver lining because like I said in my first point that I was trying to make, the growth that I've experienced throughout the past six years has been tremendous and I feel wiser and I feel more uh, like I can settle in a little bit and I can slow down and really just appreciate the beauty that's all around me and the life that we have instead of worrying about the little things. Um, you know, I just feel like sometimes the little things are just so unimportant, but then they take up so much of our mental space. And so I just really am, have learned that, that, that they're just unnecessary and just a waste of time. Um, you know, Matthew and I are lucky that co-parenting is amicable on both sides, you know, for the most part. And I know this isn't always the case, and I'm sure that that could cause a lot of stress for folks who are in a tumultuous or stressful co-parenting situation. And I really, really feel for you because every now and then if there's a little strife, that's even hard to deal with. So I can't imagine what it would be like on a daily basis to not get along with the co-parent. That would just be really, really hard and challenging. And, you know, I learned somewhere along the way that the opposite of depression isn't necessarily happiness. The opposite of depression is purpose um, for a lot of people. I'm not saying that's the case for everyone, but when we find our life's purpose, a lot of our sad and mel melancholy feelings dissipate. So because I already had a lot to be sad about, I knew how important it was to find a purpose in life that felt meaningful and that would make me get out of bed every morning and would drive this engine of life. And so I've been working really hard to figure out what that is. And this hasn't just been for over the past six years. This has probably been for the past 15 years because I was originally a school psychologist. And even though I love psychology and the human mind and, and behavior, being a school psychologist was not for me. It was a lot of testing, paperwork, placing kids in special education, and it just was not, not for me. So then I started teaching and that was closer to my purpose because I loved being with the kids and watching their light bulbs go off in their little minds and or their big minds um 
and I even and I loved the community of teachers that surrounded me. So that was was much better than being a school psychologist, but it still wasn't quite there. So then I moved into the world of writing, and that also was really fun and um, felt purpose of purposeful. But I did miss the teaching component, and so I feel like finally creating content for other women is starting to feel like my purpose. And so this podcast is a huge part of that. And I'm working on several novels. I've got two finished and I'm querying agents and then I'm starting another one. And all of my novels have really strong female protagonists and that typically become the heroine of their own story. And I, they all have like deep human relationships and the characters grow in, in my novels. And I just feel like uh, Margaret Atwood, who wrote The Handmaid's Tale, she said something that I thought was really cool about novel writing. She said, you know, when you are 65, you can remember what it was like to be 25 and write as if you were 25, but you also know what it feels like to be 65 and you can write as a 65-year-old. Meaning all of those many life lessons and experiences have changed you and made you grow. And so you can write in the mind frame of a 65-year-old. Whereas if you are 20 years old, yes, you can write as a 20-year-old, but it would be very hard to project what it's like to be 65 because you just simply can't do it. And so I feel like at age 43, I have life wisdom that helps make my novels deeper and more meaningful for people and I'm really excited about them so that's starting to feel like a life purpose um but yeah I just I don't know I'm almost six years out of my divorce which is crazy to think about and aside from dealing with all the getting in the minutiae of the divorce and all of that it's been a wonderful six years I mean I'm in love with my partner got all these wonderful kids that we care for and get to be a part of their lives and watch them grow and learn and be excited about sports and academics and all the things that they're into and I feel like the work that I had to do personally during the divorce was something I should have done long long ago and you know it's sad that these huge life-changing events had to make me do that but I'm really appreciative that it happened and I now have this appreciation for life and love and time spent with people you know it's it's just I've changed and I guess the biggest silver lining of my divorce is that I'm more relaxed and less in a tizzy about everything because what's the point in being like that and all of this makes me think of my very favorite quote by Mary Oliver which says what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life and time flies so quickly so it's my constant goal just to soak it all up and try new things and slow down and be in the moment and truly enjoy this one and precious life of mine well thank you all for joining me on this episode um i hope it was a little bit more uplifting than last week's and i hope you have an outstanding Memorial Day weekend. And even though there's only a couple of days left in May, I want you to think about getting good sleep, going back to the beginning about this month, getting good sleep, taking care of your mental health, um, taking a lot of walks. It's National Walking Month and it's Women's Healthcare Month. So make sure you make those appointments that you've been ignoring because they are so, so, so important. All right, everyone, take care and I will see you on the next episode of She Breathes. If you are enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. 
My goal is to share information and inspiration so that women feel seen, heard, and empowered. Also, if you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please share. Lastly, if you have a topic or idea that you want to hear more about, or if you want me to expound upon a topic I've previously discussed, please let me know. Message me on any of my social media platforms or email at susanna.shetley at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.